That <laughs> caught me off guard. I was not, yeah. I was not ready for that. You this, seem uh, this hotel lobby was not ready for that. Yeah, you seem a little bit uh, out of your element uh, today, Patrick. I, this isn't usually the uh, the living room or the uh, the beautiful outdoor surroundings I'm accustomed to seeing you in. Where where are you today? I'm in I'm in Dearborn, Michigan. Uh-huh. Uh huh. My wife and I drove in last night. Uh, we are uh, here a day early so I can uh, practice on stage for giving my little TEDx speech tomorrow and. Uh, yeah, the, the, there is wireless in the hotel, but it does not work for my, my room. So I was forced to wander the halls like a zombie last night oh, until I brutal. could pick up a decent enough signal. And it seemed like the lobby is where it, I, I don't even know how hotel like I don't know how like large, expansive wireless is set up. I assume it is not just like a big router. Like no. How, is it multiple routers? It's, I How think, does that even work? I think good hotels use multiple routers and sort of chain that stuff. It's not just one giant thing that you're running off of, but... If you're in a hotel in Dearborn, Michigan, I'm saying the odds of them having, you know, high-tech IT services probably a little lower than usual. No, I thought the, the campus is like a couple blocks away. I thought about going there, but uh, so if the if the audio and video is out of sync, uh, yeah, we can we can go ahead and blame Dearborn, Michigan, like the city of Dearborn. Is we'll just blame. Not I this blame them hotel. for most of my other problems in life. So why not? Why stop there? You know? Why not? Oh. Why not continue on? Although, as I say this in the lobby, it's, I probably shouldn't say this given, given that I'm here for the next two days, but this is one of those hotels where, like, you look around and it looks like a four-star hotel, mm-hmm. but then you go in the rooms and it's, it's definitely, like, two and a half. Right. Like, they have, you know where the money was spent in this place. The money was spent on lo- lo- a lobby they could take pictures of and impress people via the internet. And then, you know, like, these little tiny dark photos of the rooms that don't really show what you're in, you're, you're in for. Well, like, so this place is, like, gone green, so there's no, uh, like, directory of what the hotel has, like, in terms of food or services, which right. is fine. That, you know, whatever. Hmm. But, so all the all of the menu information is on the TV. Like, you go to a certain channel. But they're all, like, really, really old CRTs, so you can't, but, but the, the PowerPoints have clearly been made on, like, high-end displays, like a, a laptop or a computer, right. so you can't read any of them on a CRT. Oh. Oh no! So, not that I would read. Not that I don't think I would eat any of the in-house dining at an establishment like this. But nonetheless, nonetheless, Patrick Klepek taking it to the hotels of Dearborn, Michigan. Hardcore on bombing on the AM. Yeah. Well, welcome to our TripAdvisor report. Yeah. Live. I can't wait to read your Yelp review. Um, so, what have you been up to this week? Oh God, what have I been doing this week? Uh, I have been playing. Uh, well, I've been trying to get live streaming stuff going uh, for most of this week and failing pretty miserably at it. Uh, there's a lot of weird things that I'm trying to make work uh, in the context of that stuff. So I've I've basically given up on having the ideal setup that I wanted, which was something similar to Encyclopedia Bombastica, but, you know, something I can do live well. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to have to regroup and try some different stuff next time around uh, next week. But apart from that, uh, I did play some games. Uh, I started playing Pokemon. Uh, I know yeah. you also yeah. started playing Pokemon. Uh, now this is... Why did you start playing Pokemon? Why because, did you start playing Pokemon, Alex? Because um, somebody sent me a code for Pokemon, despite my never actually asking anyone <laughs> to get me a code for Pokemon. Uh, someone was like, hey, I got a thing for you. I got this Pokemon uh-huh, code. And then you emailed it to me, and it was like, well, shit, I can't just let this go to waste. Yeah, that I can't just, just leave it. Irresponsible. Irresponsible. So I downloaded Pokemon, and I played uh, a couple hours so far of Pokemon. Um, 
Okay, before I get into what I think of it, Patrick, I want to know how you're you're liking it thus far. Well, I only played about an hour. Uh, okay. I, was, I was pretty busy this week, uh, but um, it seems like... I, here's a weird thing up front, like, game aside, is that I haven't seen this in a 3DS game before where the 3D switches on and off, like, mm-hmm. at will, like, yeah. in different sections. So, like, in battle, the 3D is on, but right. then in the town sections, the 3D is off. That I don't confused know if that's me a like lot a, at first. And I don't know if that's like a, yeah, a battery that... conservation issue or if that's, I don't know, I just, it's just unique. I've never seen it in a 3DS game before, for sure. Sure. Um, but the game itself, I mean, it seems like Pokemon. Like, for better or worse, like, it's it seems like another Pokemon game, and it's been, God, you know, like 15 years, if yeah. not longer, since I've played one of those. And, like, you know, I, I someone on Tumblr asked me, like, why are you playing it now? Like, you know, we asked you to play before. It's like, well, because now everyone's playing it, and I'm sort of one of those zeitgeist games that was something like Watch Dogs falling out as something that I'll have to commit my time to. Uh, you know, it seemed like, yeah, why don't, why don't I at least give this a shot? And it's one of those games that I don't feel like I, it will break my playing one game at a time rule. Because sure. I, I try and play one game at a time, so I actually finish them. But uh, Pokemon is something I can kind of, like, chip away at yeah. over, like, the course of the holiday. So... I'm not convinced I'm actually going to do that. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. I, I've played about two hours so far, and uh-huh. there's nothing wrong with that game. It seems, you know, it, it's cheerful. Uh, mechanically, it's pretty much what everyone told me it was. It's, you know, kind of a light-ish RPG. Um, I picked up... Again, this is my first Pokemon game ever. I have never yeah. played one of these games before. And I picked up the the basic idea of capturing and battling and all that kind of stuff, you know, pretty quickly. I've got a few different Pokemon now. I've got, uh, you know, been hanging out with the kids a little bit and doing some stuff. Gross. I just don't think I care. Um, okay. It's nothing that the game is doing wrong. I just don't think that I am particularly attuned to... Uh, I- I'm not picking up what Pokemon- Pokemon's putting down. Uh, I think that if I had more uh, affinity for the series, I think if I had, you know, kind of grown up a little bit more with it, I think that if I had maybe tried playing it before the age of nearly 32, uh, maybe maybe I might have gotten more into it. I will keep playing it for a little while because it is fun enough. I think it's cute. You know, it's, it's, it's enjoyable. I just don't think it's my thing. Mm. Uh, so the, the one thing I will concede to everyone is that I used to think Pokemon was just super dumb. I don't think that anymore. I don't think Pokemon's super dumb. I think that, okay, there is some appeal here. I totally get what it is that people like about it. I just don't think it's for me. All right. Well, that's a, that's a step. We're going to yeah. play at least a little bit more of it. I'm, I am. I'm, I'm going to play at least a I'm, few more hours. Yeah, I, I will probably do a deep commitment on it, just not in a short time span. But I'm looking forward to getting more. You have Pokemon Y. I, I have do. Pokemon X, which means you have some sort of exclusive Pokemon that I don't. I'm not deep enough to care about that quite yet, I don't think. Yeah, and Brad, like, the, the thing that actually got me, like, a little bit over the hump of being like, well, am I going to download this and just not play it, was Brad, as soon as he apparently found out that I had taken the Y code, got on, was like, what's your friend code? Everyone has Pokemon <laughs> X, no one has Pokemon Y. Trade with me, trade with me. And I was like, I haven't even downloaded it yet. I couldn't even get on the eShop for the first day. And then I didn't have enough SD card space, so I had to go buy a new SD card. I went and bought a new goddamn SD card just so I could download that dumbass game. You did, because what were you going to do? Not cash in the code? I know! Like, that's, that, would, that would be irresponsible. Um, it, it, is, it is interesting, though, especially to watch, like, especially amongst uh, 
the people that are, are kind of in our age bracket of it does seem like th- this is for a lot of people the first one they're playing in like 10 or 15 years you know maybe yeah. not you know red and blue were the initial releases so i think more people than not have played at least one or two of those in between but it does seem like this is sort of kind of like animal crossing where maybe there hasn't been any sort of fundamental shift in gameplay but it's been just long enough that for a lot of people that did enjoy it it's been long enough that hey this works again which nintendo is is uniquely very very good at and that's that's exactly what happened with me with animal crossing you know i i played the shit out of the gamecube game i played a bunch of the ds one i didn't really play the wii one at all uh, and so that that long enough break between the DS one and the 3DS one was enough to get me back into it. I think if I had gotten on Animal, you know, Pokemon around the same time or with the same kind of energy that I had with 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 Animal Crossing back in the day, then maybe it would be a different story right now. But I think I think it's too late for me. I'm sorry. Well, for all sorts of reasons. Yeah, for Pokemon, a variety the least of them. Um, trying to see, I didn't. I didn't really. Oh, you know what? I I, uh, I I played from start to finish. Not that it's that's much of an accomplishment, but I, I finished the the Wolf Among Us, which um, I was surprised how much I liked. Wait, oh, <laughs> all of a sudden, Don't worry like, about what's it. going on? There's okay. my girlfriend bothering me. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. Nothing. Happened. Um, I was surprised how much I got into the setting. I think when you say it out loud, the idea of storybook fable characters living in Brooklyn sounds really stupid. Mm-hmm. Sounds really, sounds really, really stupid. And yet, uh, somehow they pulled it off in a fashion that doesn't feel like it's just goofy enough. Yeah. And it just takes itself just seriously enough that you can buy into the premise, but it also allows them to skate a really fun, fine line of setting it in a, putting it in a contemporary setting, but allowing them to also indulge in all the weirdness that goes along with you know the characters that they have. There's um, there's an interesting vibe in that game where it's like even the characters in that game seem to acknowledge that their own existence is a little bit absurd in the context of the modern <laughs> world. Yeah. Like not so much that like they're cursing it, but they're just sort of like aware that it's bizarre that they are kind of you know ensconced in this you know largely human world where they have no place, and it kind of it kind of fits in a way that you don't necessarily expect it to. Um, I was, you know, I've read a few reviews of the the first episode since I, I finished it, and it seems like most people are pretty on board with the tone of it. I've seen a few people complain that it's a lot of detective show, you know, and, and mystery cliches kind of, you know, topped onto the, the fantastical setting, which I agree. There's definitely some cliched stuff in there. But the character writing and the dialogue and sort of the interactions between those characters, I think, transcend a lot of that stuff. I think that Something about Telltale and that team and those guys, like, they have a, a knack for, for grounded dialogue, even in the most, you know, bizarre, fantastical situations that doesn't pull you out of the scenario. Even when you're talking to a goddamn pig who is crashing on your couch, you still feel like there's a natural flow to their conversation that, that works way better than it should. So, for me, you know, it's like, yeah, there's maybe a few little flaws in there, but, like... The atmosphere and the writing and all that stuff. And, you know, the interactivity, too, which is never the number one thing that, that Telltale games do. But, like, I think that the, you know, as far as, like, what they learned from season one of The Walking Dead, like, what they managed to build into that game is pretty great. Yeah, it's been interesting to see the way that this game, and I'll be curious to see if they approach it this way in future episodes, uh, but without giving away how it works um, and the couple times they use it, the, the puzzles aren't as... 
I guess, obvious in, in the sense that, like, you you walk into a room and it's like, now it's time to solve a puzzle. Right. Um, some of the ways they employ it are actual puzzles through dialogue, uh, things that aren't uh, necessarily obviously puzzles. But as you start to pick up on what's happening, you realize, oh, wait, this is a puzzle. And they're hiding the puzzle in the dialogue. And right. it's the, the, the moment where that plays out is, is super fascinating. And I think it's an interesting way of approaching it where they can reward the player for paying attention but without punishing someone that doesn't pick up on it or doesn't right. want to play with that part of it. Because I feel like they're increasingly trying to you know, skate a really fine line of you know, appealing to a wider audience that is more interested in the story and the characters while also trying to justify the interactive nature of, of the game that you're playing. Um, and and I, th- I think they try some, some really interesting things that are you know, more successful than you know, like you know, the Jurassic Park. Uh, they right. seem to be on on a pretty interesting track and it makes me wonder how divergent the walking dead will be you know when we you know i think probably pretty soon start hearing about you know the second season of of that game well they Um, had been at one point talking like that second season was still going to come out this year i'm not convinced that's going to be the case at this point because i feel like they would have said something by now if that were the case my because my guess was always that you know and this is a complete hunch i this is zero insight but that amc had to look at the success of the Walking Dead game as opposed to the the Walking Dead game they put their money on, right. which was the Activision one, and sort of maybe understand that they bet on the wrong horse. Oh, and yeah. so I, I was always wondering whether there would either be a formal partnership between AMC and Telltale to mutually benefit each other um, or if they would just sort of overlap the, the content so that they could benefit even if there wasn't actually a formal partnership i imagine um, it, it depends at least a little bit on how long that deal they signed with activision was like if it was just for one game then yeah by all means they should but i mean if they're still locked in with those guys for a while that could be a problem i guess so, but i mean and like you you know you look at like the amount of you know if you read the scuttlebutt about like the walking dead tv show like robert kirkman has a pretty extraordinary amount of control over uh his properties right and he, you know, he was involved in the Telltale game as well. I wouldn't be surprised, maybe if there's no formal partnership, that we actually start, you know, if you look at the way the Wolf Among Us episodes are probably going to come out, it will probably end around the time that the Walking Dead TV show is finishing. Right. And I wouldn't be surprised if there was a natural leadoff point from the end of the television season to, you know, the beginning of um, the Walking Dead season two in game form. Because I, there's going to be so much excitement for the Walking Dead season two, I can't imagine they're going to launch it, like, in two weeks, just out of nowhere with no, no. hype built whatsoever. I'm I'm thinking if they are going to do it this season, it's going to be whatever the mid season finale is because they usually do that with The Walking Dead. Like they'll they'll run mm-hmm. like eight episodes, then they'll run the last seven, you know, in, in 2014. Um, but yeah, if they're not going to do it this year, then they're definitely going to try and time something around you know whenever the other Walking Dead finishes. Um, I think that's that's ultimately what kind of ended up happening with the the South Park game is that that I think that's scheduled to to come out right around the time that season ends, so or right. at least comes close to it. So yeah, I don't know. I, I I you know as much as I am looking forward to The Walking Dead, I'm kind of glad Fables is there to sort of fill that you know that that void for a little bit. I mean, they're two totally different games like story wise, but in terms of you know the way the the writing style and the gameplay style, like it definitely it scratches a similar itch. So you know, I'm digging that. Yeah, I think anyone that did like The Walking Dead is going to love The Wolf Among Us. You know, the, the test for me was, you know, I played The Walking Dead with my wife where I controlled, I, I held the controller and did all the actions, <clears throat> but had her choose, you know, where we spent our time, what the dialogue choices, choices were. And so I was hoping to do that again with her. And, you know, we were only going to play like 45 minutes and then, you know, 
as soon as I'd be like, oh, we should probably turn it off and watch a show or something, she'd be like, nope, need to see what's happening with Mr. Toad. Like, so why don't you hit that left trigger and let's keep going. Um, and then by, you know, at some point, then, then we hit the end of it. And goddamn, you know, that, that episode ends on one hell of a cliffhanger. Yes, it does. And I, I, I really hope they're able to tighten up the release schedule on those episodes because I really need to know what think, the hell happened at the end of I think they're talking one a month. So if okay. that's the case, that's not so bad. The, every six to eight weeks would definitely be a little rougher for something like that. So, um, so that's all I played this week. I don't, there's a lot of news. Yeah, I, I, I won't dwell on this much because I didn't really play very much else. I tried playing a little bit of Space Space uh, since that, that, that's now out available on, right? on, on Steam. I, I unfortunately was running into some glitches, so I couldn't really get much into it, but that seems cool. Um, and I also... Uh, I, I played the Stanley Parable demo. Uh, I've not played the actual Stanley Parable yet. I'm waiting until I get back from my uh, my weekend away this weekend to, to, to sit through that. But I've heard nothing but spectacular things. And that demo is pretty great. So uh, if you're on the it's, fence it's, at all, yeah. just try that demo. Because that will give you a pretty good idea of what kind of weird wackiness you're in store for. Yeah, it's it's the, the demo is amazing because it is both, I think, instructive and indicative of what people are in for yeah. in the, the game proper. But at the same time also deconstructs the existential crisis of building a demo and is, is, is actually amazingly nakedly honest about how stressful an experience it is to provide, you know, a quote-unquote vertical slice of your game without giving away your game. And I, I think it's... If, if that's what the entirety of the Stanley Parable is, uh, so, you know, something along those lines, at least thematically, I think I think that can be really exciting. Yeah. I'm, I'm, and it sounds like the game has... Uh, like a bajillion endings right. that people are still trying to figure out where all of them are hidden. And so I kind of want to get into it as soon as I can when I get home because it's fun to be a part of the discovery process. Oh, totally. Uh, kinda, you know, it's, it's not quite Fez, but it certainly has that feeling of like, okay, go do this, go do this. And, and then, you know, so I, yeah, it's, people should check it out. Totally. The demo will tell you up front. I think it is, uh, you know, it's one of those games that if the humor connects for you, it's going to really connect, and it seems like for the people who it doesn't connect for, it does not connect whatsoever. Um, so you'll know pretty quickly whether it's something you're going to want to drop some money on, because uh, right now I think it is a little bit cheaper while while it's in its launch period. Yeah, I, it's only uh, I think it's eleven ninety nine right now instead of the fifteen or fourteen ninety nine that it would be normally. So you know, grab it cheap if you're going to grab it. Yep. All right. Let's get into the news, because good lord, there is a fair amount of it uh, this week. Yeah. Um, and we, should, we should probably start with the big stuff, right? Yeah. Like, the, the delays are probably top of mind, especially given there was one this morning as yes. well. Yes. So, there are, let's, let's, yeah, start go, go with, let's start with Ubisoft, because that was kind of the, the big thing that dominated most of the week this week, uh, is that uh, both Watch Dogs, uh, Ubisoft's big open-world uh, cell phone hacking Batman simulator uh, and the crew, which was it's a multiplayer driving game have been delayed into 2014. Um, Watchdogs was always kind of scheduled to be a launch game uh, so much so that there was a PS4 bundle associated with that game. The crew is a little bit more nebulous. Uh, It was never, you know, it was always kind of targeted for end of the year, but nobody actually had a date for it. So that one's a little less surprising, but the watchdogs thing seems like kind of a pretty big deal. Uh, to the point where Ubisoft's stock has dropped up like 25% since this announcement came out. Patrick, what does this actually mean for the grand scope of uh, the, you know, the new console launches? Like, does does this, and I mean, does, Ubi, does Watch Dogs not being there, is that a bigger deal for, for Sony or Microsoft, do you think? Uh, certainly Sony, if they're, yeah. part, you know, if they're doing a hardware partnership and... 
you know, I, I always figured the hardware partners would figure out a way to uh, placate, you know, the, the the consumers that had purchased the bundle and get them a, you know, they would allocate resources so that they would make sure they'd be able to get a a, a regular machine if they still wanted one, but. Uh, it strikes me as the fact that there was confusion over how that was going to be handled, that this was a pretty recent decision yeah. uh, to, to push that game back. Because those games, uh, from what I am told, you know, are entering cert right about now uh, right. in order to, to hit those launch dates. Um, and so, I, you know, wh- I, it's hard to tell what would have driven Ubisoft to make such a late game decision. You know, it's possible they looked at uh, tracking for Assassin's Creed 4, which is getting a really big... Uh, marketing push right now i've seen the trailers you know on football all the time and 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 all sorts of other television shows and maybe the tracking on that is good enough that they thought that it would start cannibalizing uh their 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 other ip that they were trying to launch and if they waited till the spring that maybe you know you'd get the new machines have a little more traction uh, but they also face a lot stiffer competition in the spring that's assuming that the other games that come in the spring actually hit in the spring but you know when they're talking spring we're not talking march like they they, the date that they put for Watch Dogs was in the first quarter, which is April to April 1st to June 30th. That's probably like is, an April or May release. Right. And then also in that period is Destiny and Titanfall. Right. Uh, not to mention what other what other games that I'm, I might be missing off the top of my head. But they, they are suddenly stacked against uh, some other bigger games. Obviously, they're a little bit different. I think Titanfall and Destiny are going head-to-head much more so than they are going against Watch Dogs. But uh, nonetheless, the only theory I have is that Assassin's Creed was looking well or watchdogs at the 11th hour was having serious issues you know they were pretty vocal about some of the technical things they were struggling with especially right. on the console side you know people were upset that they were theorizing that the games might be running at 30 frames a second at 720p um that's stuff that bothers me less but i also think it's indicative of you know launch crunch that that is difficult to achieve especially on new consoles and so you know hopefully maybe the spring gives them you know, a chance to, to, to iron out those things because uh, it looked like that was going to be a visual showcase for these new machines. And for me, the thing that, you know, increasingly, if I was not someone that did this for a living, I I wouldn't be buying either of these machines at launch. Yeah, I'm kind of getting to that same point as well. And this seems like as good a time to anyway kind of, you know, uh, move into the other big delay that we just learned about today, which was Drive Club. Uh, this was a Sony exclusive uh, driving game that uh, that you know I believe was unveiled at the, the the last E3 press conference and was you know another multiplayer focused kind of driving game type deal from one of Sony's uh, uh, internal studios and I've played it a couple of times and never really felt anything to one way or the other about it. It just seemed like okay. I mean that that was the the game where they had the demo where the guy was basically like fetishizing car seats and talking about, you know, all the great yeah. detail in the cars. And then, you know, after playing, it was kind of like, yeah, it's interesting. But it never really kind of set my world on fire. But nonetheless, it was one of the only big exclusives that, you know, Sony had uh, for that lineup. So that's like two big games that were part of the PS4 lineup that are gone now. And one from the Xbox One. Yeah, and that's, I'm surprised, you know... I'm, I'm surprised that they're not going to be pushing out at least like a drive gub drive club ps plus you know like that beta or whatever they were talking about giving to playstation plus subscribers yeah they apparently replaced that uh with contrast so now instead of that uh ps plus players will just get contrast hmm Hmm. which is not really the same no 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 it's not i'm surprised they wouldn't at least have a demo or something there but but you know obviously we're seeing like if we're seeing all of these announcements triggered right now i suppose it's possible that 
everyone's just trying to group it together and yeah. kind of weather the storm collectively. Or I think what's more likely is that, you know, we're starting to see uh, cert submissions happen. We're starting to see games come back, maybe have a little bit of difficulty getting through cert or, you know, we're at the 11th hour and it's time to start making decisions on whether those games are hitting launch and what's getting, you know, a marketing push. And, you know, these, game, these games aren't making it. We, I'm just, it's, it feels like, and I might be wrong, maybe because it's just been so long since we've had a, a big simultaneous launch, but it feels like this is coming later than we normally hear about this it stuff. It is. And it's weird because I've seen both those games recently. Um, they they showed Drive Club at uh, Gamescom, and then they had a press event where they showed that same build. Uh, and then I saw Watch Dogs like two weeks ago. Uh, you know, they, they, And there was no indication at that point that that game was not going to be ready. They were still talking about it like it was going to be a launch game and everything was good to go. Uh, they asked for my honest feedback about it afterward, but I mean, you know, what I said was not really anything that damning because it still looked really good. Like everything mechanically mm-hmm. about it looks really good. The only thing I'm still confused about with that game is like the story and the justification for any of what you're doing. You know, they haven't talked about any of that shit really. Right. Um, but that's not a reason to delay the game. You know, that means there's something weird technical going on with that game that is not ready. But they, you know, as of two weeks ago, it didn't seem like anyone was really concerned about that. So it's weird. It, yeah, the timing is very bizarre and suspect. It's 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 unusual for for ge- launch games like this to get delayed so close to the to the wire, which leads me to believe that there are just like cataclysmic issues in these games that they just have not been able to iron out before you know before the the, the launch, and that's that's strange. But you know, I mean, in the end, it's probably for the best because Lord knows you don't want to put out some broken ass games on you know just when people are buying new systems. Well, and also. Launch lineups are kind of overrated. Yes. Uh, and also, uh, although it's I feel slightly counterintuitive, not important. Uh, you the promise of the you know these games weren't canceled; they were pushed back. Um, there is a lot of uh, fresh new car smell that goes along with buying a new console. That sure. goes a pretty long way, and maybe there'll be some downloadable games that surprise us uh, that end up you know being sort of a Geometry Wars esque, uh, like hey, this is good enough while I wait for the other stuff to come out. Um, and then also, I think Sony's being smart, you know, porting uh, some of their uh, higher quality PS3 games uh, to PS4 and giving you cross buy on that. Like, I'll play through Flower again in yeah. 60 frames a second, 1080p. Like, I will happily do that. I'll play some more um, fucking sound shapes. Hell yeah. Yeah, exactly. I haven't played any of the DLC uh, for that game. And so, having these games, if they can have a solid spring launch lineup, I think that's more important than a solid November lineup. Yeah. Because the kinds of people that are going to buy it in November. The suckers like you and me mm-hmm. and a lot of people in this chat room with us, we're going to buy it regardless of what is in that launch lineup because we just want to be there on day one. And I'd much rather have much more polished, higher quality games hitting at a regular uh, pace in the spring uh, than having those in November because I'm still going to have a backlog in November. Yeah, I mean, Lord knows, you know, not having a lot of games in the, the spring, summer, you know, and up to a point fall kind of didn't help the Wii U at all. Um and yeah, I mean, the long, the long tail view is definitely what you want to look toward. You want to make sure you have stuff ready to go on a regular basis. And yeah, dumb idiots like us are the only ones who buy consoles, you know, at launch. We're, we're, I have to because for work. But, uh, at, at, you know, and to answer your question earlier, would I still have both consoles pre-ordered uh, at this point? You know, if, if I were just buying as a consumer, I don't know that I would. In fact, I might cancel I... both at this point because while there are games... Like, I want to play Forza, I want to play, you know, a couple of the the PlayStation indie games, and, you know, I was kind of looking a little bit forward to Drive Club, but not really, but 
I don't know. It's just it's like there's just not that much. There's just not that much, and there's never that much with console launches. Like usually you're no. more giddy for the technology upgrade than you are the actual games. But this is the one time when I can definitively say I don't think I would buy one of these things. Not right yeah, away. Especially if if you've been someone like a lot of us on Giant Bomb. Like if you've if you've been on the PC for a decent length of time, that is also sort of I think uh, blunted some of the the giddiness to move to next gen because. You've kind of been there as the technology has progressed. Obviously, there'll be a leap with the new consoles, but you've had high-end console games for a while, and mm-hmm. what we're seeing out of launch stuff, you know, looks better, but isn't, you know... You know, I don't know. What do you think of NBA? Like, that was the first, I guess, game that people are surprisingly going like, oh, this is what I expected when these machines were announced. Yeah, that that trailer they put out yesterday looked really, really good. Um, I'm, I still want to see it actually in motion. Like, I actually want to get my hands on a controller and see how it performs in the game environment because, you know, the multi-camera stuff apparently is all in that game, and so, you know, you'll get those angles and you'll get some of those shots, but I want to see how it actually performs. But in terms of, like, you know, visual fidelity, I mean, that was what was definitively missing from stuff like Madden. You know, those trailers they've showed for Madden and what I played of Madden on Next Gen is just like, well, they up everything from the existing Madden engine. Whereas with 2K14, it looks like they kind of rebuilt the game a little bit, which I think means that it won't have all the same features as the current gen version. But visually, it will be, it looks a lot more like the kind of showpiece that you kind of expect from, you know, a, con- a sports game at console launch. Um, and we haven't seen anything of that other goddamn NBA game in a long time, so I'm not even know <laughs> when we're going to see anything from that. But but that's supposed to be launch, right? Yeah, supposed to be. They didn't have it at the last EA Sports event I went to, like, uh, two weeks ago. So, oh, man. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about that one. We'll see. I don't know. That game's got to come out, though, right? I mean, heads are going to roll. Can you really do that three times? Heads are going to that's roll possible. if that thing does not come out. But I'm not, I'm, I don't know. I have some worries. But 2K14 looks really good, and it, you know, if anything, you know, two, like whatever it was, I think it was 2K6 that came out at Xbox 360 launch. That was nowhere near as much of a visual leap between versions, but you know, gameplay-wise, they didn't compromise much. So I'm kind of hoping that they're able to sort of keep that balance between hot visuals and a game that I really like. Uh, I'll play right. that. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to review it anyway, but I'm, I am actually kind of excited for that version. Yeah, and I, I, you know. Not being a sports aficionado, at least basketball myself, uh, game-wise, I, I'm I'm just genuinely curious to watch all this stuff play out with EA because the pressure must be on for them to have, you know, an equally, if not more so, impressive first trailer. Uh, whereas yeah. if they were <clears throat> smart enough to at least get out there first, um, even if they didn't look as good as 2K14, at least you had managed to be like, hey, we're the first. You know, one of the first next-gen sports games to get shown off. Right. Uh, and now they don't have that, and so now they need to look really impressive because I have to imagine that a lot of people were genuinely shocked by that trailer and ended up, you know, especially with something like Drive Club, like maybe they shifted, you know, their their pre-order over to to that game. Someone in the chat is saying that uh, they have a friend who is crunching hard on that uh, NBA game and that it should make watch. So. That's uh, we, it's, uh, deeply, deeply sorry for your friend. I am Hopefully looking forward <laughs> to seeing that game actually exist. <clears throat> Straight up. Uh, why don't you throw a headline at me? Let's see. Well, apparently 2K Marin is done for. Yeah. Uh, the developer of the Bureau, XCOM Declassified, and Bioshock 2. Uh, one of those uh, is better than the other. One of those did I, a lot better quite, than the other. 
Yeah, I quite liked Bioshock 2. I think it was hurt more by the fact that it was called Bioshock 2 mm-hmm. uh, than than anything else, and it had a much better last uh, climax than, than the original Bioshock did. It actually had a really, really good one. Um, in any case, uh, yeah, so uh, Rock, Paper, Shotgun, and Polygon, um, and Eurogamers, a bunch of places are being told that uh, the outlet is is not just having layoffs as a, require, as a result of XCOM not performing, but essentially uh, everyone that's not going to Rod Ferguson's new team uh, is, is being laid off. Uh, it sounds like Rod Ferguson is basically becoming 2K Marin 2.0, right. starting from scratch, taking the talent that he wants uh, and, and starting anew, because from, from, all, from everything I've heard um, from people that have worked at that studio in the past, there is an enormous amount of extra, of wasted talent right. uh, at that studio, and that the fact that uh, 2K Marin has put out some of the games it has, especially its most recent one, has much more to do uh, with people in charge of that studio uh, than it does with the people actually building the games there. Yeah, someone made the uh, the comment on Twitter. I can't remember who it was, so I apologize to whoever that was uh, for stealing their quote without attributing it. But uh, someone said on Twitter that that studio had basically been built to create original new IPs for for 2K. And the only yeah. two games it made were Bioshock 2 and the Bureau XCOM Declassified, which obviously were existing franchises. Which is a real bummer. You know, it's kind of a... It's sad when you can see that there's there's some, some kind of talent, some kind of promise there, and then it's just not fully realized. I mean, Bioshock 2... I didn't finish it. It, it seemed I, I did play Minerva's Den, which obviously was kind of its own little thing uh, and was pretty spectacular. But um, you know, Bioshock Two was was totally inoffensive and actually continued the, that game's the original game's you know concepts better than they probably should have. You know, though they yeah. really had any right to. And in, even in the bureau, you know, you can see that they spent a long time on that game. They there clearly were a lot of divergent ideas and 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 concepts that they never completely got working together in harmony on that game but there was a, there was something there there was something you could see that like a germ of a really good idea that just didn't completely come to you know to fruition and then it just didn't sell you know because it was a game that didn't really have an audience you know and it didn't really have uh, a, a great deal of quality behind it to really kind of prop it up behind the sort of lack of marketing underneath and it's just too bad. You know, you don't see, like to see studios, you know, die under these kinds of circumstances. I mean, at least, you know, the, the consolation is that there is a new studio being put together. And, you know, hopefully that turns out to be something good. And those guys have, have something interesting to work on. But, you know, you feel for the people that worked on that stuff. And you, you, you feel bad that it just didn't quite come together. I certainly feel bad that it didn't quite come together. Well, if this is an excuse for people to play Minerva's Den, go play Minerva's Den. Especially if you liked Gone Home, same yeah. team. Minerva's Den is an extraordinary game that is better than Bioshock 2. Um, and just a, 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 it only emboldened my wish for at some point uh, there had been a team assigned to do sort of a Tales from Rapture, uh, just sort of mini stories set within uh, the Rapture universe. Because, you know, obviously, as Infinite goes back to revisit that, there's a lot of fondness for. Uh, that world uh, that I continue to have and I think there's a lot more to be mined there and I I wish there had been more of an attempt to do that because I think that's probably what people more wanted from the Bioshock universe than you know an actual Bioshock 2 Uh, even if you know like you said it it turned out better than it had any right to be yeah 
So, you know, happy trails to those guys, and, and best of luck finding work as soon as humanly possible. I've seen lots of people on Twitter doing the usual thing that happens in these circumstances where they start posting job listings like crazy. You know, it's the one yep. thing I, I definitely admire about this industry is that they don't let people go without work as, any longer than they have to. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of underperforming... Um... Uh, and going back to Ubisoft for a minute, uh, another thing that might have uh, led to their stock not doing super well this week uh, is that they have basically called out both Splinter Cell Blacklist and Rayman Legends as games that have underperformed. Um, they have not thrown out specific numbers for either of these games, uh, saying exactly what they expected and what they, you know, what they actually sold. But, uh, you know, basically what they are saying is that Blacklist and, and Rayman did not perform to what they had expected those games would. My question to you, Patrick, is was there, you know, Splinter Cell is a franchise that has kind of endured for a long time. Uh, I don't know what the sales trajectory for that franchise is, but I feel like Blacklist, for all its marketing, didn't really seem to connect with necessarily with a whole lot of people. And Rayman has never been the sort of like, you know, has, like Rayman Origins wasn't a sales juggernaut either. So I'm not really sure what their expectation was. Was, you know, when, when you talk about, look at studios like this, talking about games like this underperforming, is this another case, do you think, of a publisher maybe having too lofty expectations, or is this, you know, like a greater indicator of, like, maybe where these franchises are actually at? It's, I mean, I, there was a weird spot in that late August period where Saints Row 4 and and uh, XCOM and Splinter Cell all came out at once, and we sort of theorized that one game was probably going to gobble up the other two. Sure. And that sort, sort of ended up happening, but I also think... You know, Splinter Cell Blacklist, I, I haven't played it since we last talked about it, but it seems like a well-made game, mm-hmm. but it also seems like a game that uh, not that many people were asking for. Right. And, and for whatever reason, didn't connect and had very little buzz either from you know critics or even just from consumers. Uh, Despite them releasing its... like 72 trailers for that game. Yeah, but I mean that's online stuff. Yeah. Like I, I, you know, that's that's much different than going out there and and getting actual television commercials and, and print marketing and and things like that. Like j- just cutting together a trailer is a very low cost way of marketing a game, and and it it almost makes me wonder how effective it is if they did that many for Splinter Cell and it didn't translate yeah. uh, into sales. Um, but yeah, I, I, Splinter Cell, I you know I think it needs to take a rest. Uh, I think it probably would have made more sense for that game to be. You know, maybe an early next-gen title as opposed to a late current-gen title, um, something something like that. Um, Rayman just they didn't push at all. Like that no. game got zero marketing. Like their solution to Rayman was, well, let's put it out on every platform and hopefully we'll get some more sales. But they also did absolutely nothing to promote that at, yeah. at all. Um, and and obviously Nintendo sort of dropped uh, its half of it once it no longer became a Wii U exclusive. Um, right. Despite that, I think being probably the best platform to play the game on. Um, it's, yeah, but yeah, Ubisoft didn't really hold up their, their end of the bargain on that one. It's not as bad as when they put out Origins right in the middle of a November rush, because um, that game just had no chance uh, compared with all the stuff that came out alongside it a couple of years ago. This time, at least it had a little bit of space between it and, you know, a lot of other big games. But, you know, like you said, they just didn't push it. And, you know, I... I, I I don't understand video game marketing perhaps as well as I think I do. I don't necessarily understand what goes into deciding what you're going to push and what you're not. I assume that, you know, everyone has these numbers and they have these projections that sort of tell them what, you know, they are expected to sell and what they should actually spend to try and get a game to that level. Um, I just, I, 
not necessarily understanding what those metrics are and how those statistics work, it's still just, just incredibly frustrating to me as someone who adored the shit out of Rayman Legends, seeing it just kind of flounder. I mean, even if it's sold, you know, uh, a decent amount, I just, I'm just trying to, like, I want to know what their projection for that game was. I want to know what Ubisoft internally thinks a Rayman game should sell, you know? And I, I, I feel like knowing those numbers would give us a lot better perspective on whether that's, you know, actually reasonable or not. You know, you talk about that Square Enix stuff from earlier this year where they were talking about, like, Tomb Raider being a disappointment despite smelling millions of copies. And I'm, I'm wondering, well, who told you it was going to sell more than that? What, what metric were you using to determine that that game was going to not sell, you know, like, it's going to sell this many copies and that was not enough for you? And I, I, we're never going to see that level of transparency, obviously. And I, 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 I hate that we're never going to see it because it would give us so much better perspective on this stuff. But... I don't know, man. When I just see people, when I see saying Rayman Legends was a disappointment, that just makes me sad. I'm just, I, that's, that's all there is to it. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, you have to wonder if, like, did they suddenly have some sort of sky-high Mario Sonic-esque uh, aspirations for that franchise? And if so, that seemed, that seems incredibly misguided. That's the kind of thing that, you should that... tell someone, no. No, that's not going to happen. You should, you yeah. should adjust this expectation some. Um, you know, you know, but maybe they, you know, maybe they look at, you know, sort of the buzz from, from fans and, and critics, and, and if you look at that, it seems like that game is going to be huge. Um, but, but obviously, that didn't translate. And, you know, platformers are tough. I think platformers are probably one of the most difficult genres to break out in, sure. uh, especially if you're talking about at retail, uh, where increasingly it seems like the way to be a successful, profitable platformer is to be a, a cheaper, downloadable game as opposed to uh, sort of a big budget retail $60 game, which is largely dominated by, you know, games like Mario and Sonic. Yeah. Um, the, I think they want to be in that pantheon, but getting in there from a market perspective is incredibly difficult. I think people are happy buying the platformers that they're used to, um, and, and the, the place where you can have some experimental success is actually in downloadables. And, you know, had they, you know, chosen to sell, you know, Rayman Legends, you know, at $15, and then you paid for additional worlds, like, Maybe that wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world, but um, you know, obviously, what they're doing now isn't working. But at least I'm glad I got two games out of it. Yeah. Uh, so if there's not another Rayman, you know, that's unfortunate. But I also feel like I got two of the best games of the generation out of that series. I'm just going to be really curious to see how Sonic Lost World does. You know, for instance, because I mean, that game is only on Nintendo platforms, and I'm curious what kind of sales that game is going to garner because it seems like you know. Okay, if we're still, you know, kind of leaning on these Mario and Sonic games to sort of be the big, you know, uh, genre leaders, uh, are people actually going to run out and buy that game on the Wii U? Especially considering the reviews for that game, I'm reading this morning, not super great. So that's going to be that's going to be interesting to see how that one performs. I am out of big headlines. If you want to, I've got a bunch of little ones. If you want, you've got any other big ones you want to toss out? No. There's two interesting Kickstarters this week. Yeah, yeah. I, I use the word interesting. I, I stretch out that word. Mm-hmm. Like, so, uh, the studio behind Mist and Riven, um, Cyan, is, is doing a new one called Abduction, mm-hmm. uh, which seems to be doing pretty well so far, uh, despite the fact that they are asking for, was it like one, yeah, 1.1 million? They're already up to almost 300,000, so they're probably going to hit that. Um, I'm not surprised that people are excited for cyan to, to take another crack at a genre that they've been successful in the past and this one doesn't sound like it has a big online component that's going to tear the company apart right like their last their last uh, big attempt um 
And then Booger Man. I'm, I don't... Why yeah. is Booger Man coming back? Eh, you know, whatever. Well, it's not going to come back. It's not. It's 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 definitely not coming back based on its Kickstarter. <laughs> what what are they asking for on that one? Three hundred seventy-five thousand uh, dollars, which I guess relative to other Kickstarters is not that crazy. But they're only at ten, um, and so. But they just you know, kicked it off. Not, so they, they did. They but you, your fir- your first day helps project right the interest level. So you, your big opening and then a flat middle and then a big end. I dude, I watched their little video and they had a bunch of footage of old Booger Man and I laughed at it when I was younger too. But man, mm-hmm. that game doesn't look good. Hey, it's Booger Man. I mean, it's a game called fucking yeah. Booger Man. You know, it's like it is. It is. It. It is. They are who we thought they were. You know, it's like it is exactly what you <laughs> think it is. And uh, I don't know. It, I, the one thing I will say is that Dan Record seems really, really excited about that whole thing. But uh, other than he that, would be, yeah, he, he would be. be. Maybe, maybe you can pull the that fat stack of game reformer money and uh, and get that made all on his own. Yeah, possibly. I'd watch. I'd watch uh, Dan Record be the main character in a new Boogerman game. Also on Kickstarter, uh, unfortunately, the Mutant Football League Kickstarter did not come together. Uh, they no, were also asking for like seven hundred grand or something, and they only made like one hundred and forty or something to that effect. So they are regrouping on that one. Uh, best of luck to them on that. Uh, a couple of small headlines. Galactic Civilizations 3 has been announced. I have never played sure. a Gal Civ game. Have you, Patrick? Nope. Well... Maybe this will be my Congra- first one. Congrats to Galactic Civilization fans. Yeah. That's, you know, I, I, everyone I know who loves those games loves those games, so that's probably yeah. pretty exciting to them. Uh, Pokemon uh, sold over 4 million copies in its first two days. I don't really yeah, have anything to say about seemed, that. That's great. Uh, well, if you combine that with what Nintendo, they didn't get out specifics about the Wii U's uh, sales in um, September, but they indicated that I think it was up over, what, 200% or something like that, which... Still, probably not a whole lot, but uh, it's it sounds like you know I, I really doubt they can turn the Wii U around in the same way they turned the 3DS around. Sure, but uh, you know, not a surprise that that Pokemon is an enormous success for them and is probably going to be one of the reasons that they're able to float through the next couple of years, even as the the Wii U uh, continues to to try and find its footing. Yeah, um, and you know you know reading that Wind Waker HD, which has been a huge success for them, only took six months to make. You know, not going to be surprised if we see a whole lot of those announced yeah. uh, early next year as a way of getting people uh, continually interested in that platform. And that's probably a smart way to do it. I would, I would replay Metroid Prime if they put out a Metroid Prime HD. Like, it's also maybe a little a bit of a depressing, game. maybe a little bit of a depressing tactic, but perhaps an effective one as well. I'd, you know what? I'm so tired of playing for the same games that don't transfer to a new device mm-hmm. over and over again, I'm okay with paying some money if they're actually going to spend some time doing something meaningful. To sure. It. So I feel like in, in some case, ways that six is... six months. Yeah. Um, so it also, uh, before we finish out the headlines, if people have any questions, because uh, this, this we're oh, yes. sort of a tape delay, uh, shoot them to me in the chat, and we will answer uh, a handful before, before we uh, shut this off. Last couple, I've got Blizzard Dota... Uh, which was also called something else at one point, is now Heroes of the Storm. It's also, sure. still, a, also still a MOBA, which means I probably won't play it. Nope. Uh, also, and this is the weirdest one uh, of the day, the PlayStation 4 will be launching in Brazil. Uh, it will also be launching for the equivalent of $1,800. 
Ah. Brazil is considered one of the up-and-coming uh, markets for console games in the world right now. Uh, console hardware is, is doing much, much better over there, and, and people are playing video games like crazy over there. $1,800, though. Good lord, that's a lot of money. Uh, especially for... God only knows what that launch lineup's gonna look like, so... Uh, sorry, Brazil? $1,800. If you are someone from Brazil, and you are gonna pay that, please get in touch with me. Yeah! <laughs> Can I find the one person that is going to pay? Like, that just sounds like you'd get a city together and everyone would pitch in a couple bucks and get the city of PS4. Yeah. I mean, Jesus. Yeah, $1,800 is a, that's a goddamn lot of money for a, for a game console. So we'll see. We'll yeah. see who, how they actually do down there. Yeah. Uh, some people asking about this, uh, this tweet that came out from Game in the UK. Game is a... UK retailer. There was a PlayStation meeting, which is where retailers get together and kind of get briefed on, on what's coming down the, the pike. Like a destination um, PlayStation kind of thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. And they put out a tweet that essentially said, like, all your content will carry over from the PS3 to the PS4. And then someone asked, like, are you serious? And then they were like, yeah, man, that's what we were told. There is no way that is true. No. Like, I, I would be highly skeptical of any of that. Uh, my guess is what they must have meant is that you know your music and movie and game purchases will all carry over because it's tied to your account and then when you have situations like flower and escape plan and sound shapes and flow that are getting upgraded to the ps4 that will carry over like you've just bought a sony version of that product and whatever version it platform it shows up on you'll get access to that as well the idea that they would just sort of sneakily announce backwards compatibility at retailer conference is like i mean what that would be great. You know what? This I would happily be wrong. I would love to hear that I am 100% wrong on this, but th- that would be, I think, completely crazy given that they've uh, signaled uh, that Gaikai is going to try and address the backwards compatibility thing sometime later next year. Yeah. Um, this, so I, I, I don't... Yeah. This, this, this seems like someone in a meeting told a bunch of people supported PS3 content will be brought over to the PS4, no issue. And someone just took that to mean... PS3 content will be brought over to the PS4, no issue. You know, and I, I think that I think it's exactly like you said. It's it's they told them that the games that they plan to bring over and the content they plan to bring over will all work seamlessly. I think someone just kind of took that quote and ran with it a little too far. Uh, we'll see what Sony says because again, like you, I would love to be totally incorrect about that, and I would love it if every single you know digital game I bought on PS3 would work on PS4. But I know that won't be the case because I bought plenty of actual like major PS3 games that they just straight up said will not work with the PS4 architecture. So that does not seem like it would be the case. That is... I'm with you. All right. Um, Caltech asks, do you guys think that all these games releasing early access slash Kickstarter hurts or benefits the industry as a whole? Seems a little over-excessive now. Um, hmm. That's really tough to say because we're not developers and it's... Does the early access stuff maybe uh, sort of harsh some of the buzz as a game uh, moves toward to release? Like, maybe. Uh, I think, you know, you look at the kinds of games that are going early access, a lot of them make sense to have sort of a, a more open, iterative design process. And because sure. Valve has been an infrastructure that allows studios that couldn't build that sort of infrastructure on their own to engage with that, I think, you know, more studios are giving it a shot. I mean... It was cool to jump in and check out how Prison Architect was, but 
I don't have much interest in checking that game out again until it's out, but I'm still sure. super interested in it, and I'm probably more interested in it because I had a chance to, to check it out early. So, you know, I think it's a little bit stranger when you're talking about a game like Broken Age, you know, that's going to uh, launch early uh, on, on Steam and have, have an early access. You know, adventure games are a little bit different in that capacity. Story-driven but... stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's the same reason why I don't really engage with a whole lot of early access horror stuff right. because... You know, I want to see that stuff tweaked uh, at the end. But, uh, you know, some people like to be involved in that process and see how the sausage is made and, you know, be along there with the developers providing feedback. And, you know, I think it's just, you know, if I don't think it harms anybody uh, if, if you want to get involved and obviously it provides an, an early financial outlet to studios that have something that people are interested in checking out. So uh, it seems sort of a win across the board and the stuff that doesn't flow to the top, you know, it doesn't really hurt anyone. Yeah, I guess I just don't really see what the harm would be because, you know, in the case that of something that, you know, you don't like the idea of playing a game that's not finished, then just don't buy it. Just don't jump on it until right. it's done. You know, it's like I, I haven't really gotten into much early access stuff at all. Audio Surf 2 is the only game that I immediately got as soon as it was available via, via early access and have continued to play uh, while it has remained under that status. Because that's a game that lends itself to that. You know, you don't have to worry about, you know, coming back and replaying story content in that game because you're just playing levels based on your music. You know, it's the kind of thing that fits perfectly for that. Um, you know, that said, I don't begrudge any other studio for, for going and trying the early access thing. You know, if it works for you, then go for it. You know, it's not going to... I don't see how it negatively impacts anything because all it does is give access to those who want it and, you know, you're still going to eventually get a finished game you can download and play eventually. You know, so why not just, you know, you can just wait it out. You don't have to worry about whether it's early access or not. So I don't know. I don't see the downside, I guess. Um, you know, even if I'm not interested in it, I don't see where there would be any harm from it. Yeah. Uh, I will pass on this public service announcement from several people in the chat that SteamWorld Dig, which I've not played but heard really good things about uh, from all the other guys, uh, is currently on sale in the 3DS eShop uh, for, for a couple bucks off. Um, so I, I might pick that up myself. Uh, it's... I know that Brad and Vinny and Drew uh, were super into it. And not like I don't have enough to play, um, but uh, but if it's on sale, I might try to pick that up. Yeah. Uh, uh, I have a question here okay. uh, from Video Game King. Uh, Ooh, the king of video games. The king of video games. gracing us with, our, with your presence. Uh, we know Patrick's opinion on the Tevis Thompson article, uh, which yeah. was the article that came out recently in which uh, Tevis Thompson wrote a very long missive on the subject of video game reviews. How do you weigh in on this? Uh, Patrick, why don't you start by just uh, reiterating what your opinion is on that article and maybe set it up just slightly. Uh, yeah, uh, so, so the article is basically sort of a, a long, scathing critique of uh, m- modern video game reviews in the sense of how, you know whether they are product reviews uh, and how that relates to criticism, you know, sort of the abstract idea of criticism, um, using Bioshock Infinite as a focal point, uh, which is to say that uh, Tevis thought that Bioshock Infinite was, he qualifies it as the, the worst game of the generation. If you read his essay, he explains what he means by that. You know, he's not talking about that in relation to, like, big rigs or something right. about that. But, but that a, lo- a lot of the problems of what happens in video game reviews is that you, we, games get a lot of points for trying or having ambition. Mm-hmm. And so part of the reason we get stuck in, like, a 7 to 10 scale is because, well, if a game's really ambitious, it gets a lot of points because clearly it's not big rigs. And so a lot of games end up falling in 7 to 10 as a result of that. Yeah. Um, and the you know and there's a bunch of other points he makes. It's worth reading the whole thing. There's a lot into it. But, you know, other ideas about, like, how 
a lot of people don't let their personal politics play into their to their writing, even though that would result in more honest reviews. Um, or so it's 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 hard to break down exactly what. But he's basically saying he he doesn't see enough. Uh, range of opinion mm-hmm. in the reviews of especially the bigger budget triple A games, even though you see sort of a degradation of ref- uh, upon reflection of games as they come out. GTA Four is a big example. Bioshock Infinite is a, is a big example. Um, and why isn't any of that criticism uh, reflected in the early reviews? And, and my, you know, my feeling on it was that uh, I didn't agree with everything he said. I took issue with the tone and some of the language he used. Um, but I thought there were some good underlying points that were takeaways for me that you know re- certainly reflect a lot of how I think uh, game reviews should uh, should go going forward. Um, and that you know, although I disagree with some of the tone, you know, you should reading that it's hard not to think he has some really solid points about uh, what happens with modern video game reviews, and that you don't have to agree with everything or t- have a takeaway from all of it uh, to to think that there isn't something that he has a point about that you might be able to sort of take into you know a review that i do you know down the line i i I think i'm basically in the same place you are i think i take a little bit more umbrage with his uh with some of the points he makes in that article because there's a dissonance between his notion that uh you know there should be a greater divergence of opinions and this under this this feeling that he has that I've played, you know, several games that I, you know, I would have given Bioshock like a two and I would have given this like, a, like basically he uses, you know, his own personal review scores as the specific benchmark he's giving for what, you know, uh, for, for where it, the, the, the divergence between the rest of the mainstream criticism industry and him is. And you can't really do that because you're talking about wanting, you know, a diverse array of opinions and you can't just objectively, you know, you can't objectively just say that Bioshock is the worst game ever for everyone, you know, of this generation for everyone. He's saying he hates it and he makes completely salient, understand, like understandable criticisms about that game that even if I disagree with some of them, totally makes sense in the context of his, his, uh, his criticisms. But he leaves no room for people to say that they still liked Bioshock no matter what. You know, like to say that, you know, those positive reviews should exist somewhere. He basically just kind of says, well, this game was shitty and no one really came at it. No one came at it the way they should have. And this is why I hate this. And the core point of wanting a greater, more diverse array of review scores of actually, you know, wanting a, a greater scope of criticism of wanting people to look at games more honestly from their own perspective, you know, like insert your personal politics, insert your personal feelings, insert, you know, what, what you actually experienced, you know, be honest about it is totally admirable and correct. Um, it's just that the, the article itself is, is a very ranty rambling thing that just comes off as someone more like the writings of someone scorned than someone who has like a legitimate, you know, sort of thoughtful beef with what's going on. And I, 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 I think that I I, I, I was like I, a couple of times I had to sort of force myself to keep reading because the, the tone of it was kind of killing me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree that, yeah, there, that for a long time in game criticism and for a very long time, this was the case is that there really was a lot of groupthink. You know, there was a lot of, of, of very similar, you know, Jeff giving a Zelda game an 8.8 was considered an insane outlier. You know, like that, that kind of thing was definitely like, there were way too many people willing to just kind of go along with the, this game is really big. So let's just, you know, it has to get a certain kind of score. Um, I, you know, I don't think anyone I've ever worked with necessarily subscribed to that theory, but there, there's definitely been that, that perspective over the years. 
I think in the last few years that has changed a lot. I think that as more voices have come along, as more more people have tried to delve into non-traditional or you know like more traditional criticism in like the, in other out ways, you know like stuff that's non-scored, stuff that's more essay-like, stuff that's more focused on trying to get you know the the, the nitty-gritty of of the, these kinds of games versus just kind of a product review. I think that's changing people's voices and people's perspectives a lot. And I think that, you know, while I agree that there is still a lot of, you know, it does seem like a lot of the bigger games still kind of disproportionately high scores, you know, I think that's changing and change is a slow process. And, you know, as, as different voices and different perspectives come in, that will change more and more over time. So I guess I agree with the basic crux of his point. I just didn't really like the way he delivered it at all. It came off like a much headier version of that game journalists are incompetent fuckwits guy, which was not one of my favorite dudes that ever existed either. So, right. yeah, sorry. That was just kind of where I came off on it. Yeah, no, 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 no. And I, and I actually agree with a lot of what you said. You know, I, I, what I looked at, um, one of the big takeaways I had in his essay that isn't necessarily something I can do a whole lot about, but he makes the point that, like a lot of the reasons that, you know, he posits, you know, it's not, you know, you can't get in everyone's head, but the, right. a lot of reasons he posits that, like a lot of the criticisms of Bioshock Infinite's portrayal of race um, wasn't picked up on more in a lot of game reviews is due to sort of the homogenous socioeconomic backgrounds of a lot of game reviewers. And I would agree with him there. I, yeah. I would say that the vast majority of game reviewers are, you know, white middle class male dudes. Um, and it, makes sense that due to certain life and personal experiences may not pick up on or be as sensitive to certain portrayals uh, and stereotypes that are featured in that game. And I think he is right that there needs to be more diversity of opinion, both from social and economic backgrounds, that would allow for that kind of criticism to emerge um, more on the front lines than in the back end, which is kind of where it happens now. Um, and you know that that just you know that involves you know game websites in the future being more mindful of the kinds of people they hire and wanting to have you know wider perspectives. Um, but like you said, that's a, a slow process. That is something that happens over time. But I don't think you would talk to any outlet uh, these days that isn't thinking about that when mm-hmm. they have the opportunity to hire new people. Um, and now it's just a matter of of actually having having that implemented. And you know, I mean, Tevis. You know his tone is accusatory, and he, and he comes across as angry. Angry, and I, I don't blame people for being dismissive, but I also think part of the reason he's being loud is to make a point. Yeah, and he's backing people into a corner to justify their positions, and I and I think that on some level is an effective tactic, even sure. if it ends up alienating some people in the process. Yeah, I mean the the thing is, you know, as much as I didn't care for the tone, like he did not he didn't push me off his point just by being, you know, aggressive about it. Like, I think that as much as there are things in there I, I, I steadfastly disagree with, and there are certain points that I think he actually absolutely contradicts himself with, I think the core idea that he is pushing out is good, and, you know, even if I didn't love the article as it was presented, I respect that he is trying to... He's trying to push for something better, and there's nothing wrong with that, and, you know, I think if nothing else, like, there's there's... You know, I, I, I'm trying to. I guess I'm damning with fate praise, but like, there's something there in his point that is totally that 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 is totally a great thing to strive for. I just kind of wish he'd been, you know, a little bit more careful with some of the, uh, you know, some of the accusatory stuff that's in there. Sure, sure. Well, I'm. I think that is a uh, that is that is a good note for for us to end up on. Yeah. And, um, 
this hotel Wi-Fi I feel like is going to buckle at any moment. I feel like I've, the fact that I've made it a full hour is about as far as I can stretch. You have this definitely hotel been stretching Wi-Fi. the boundaries. <laughs> um, what, are, what are you up to this weekend? What do you, well, you're out of town, so you're not going to play any games. No, no, I'm, I'm going to bring Pokemon with me, but I'm probably not going to play a whole lot of it this weekend. Uh, I'm going out of town with the girlfriend. We're going to go drive out to, to Massachusetts, go stay in the murder house, uh, go hang around Salem for a little bit, you know, pre-Halloween, you and just kind of kind of do some stuff. So, And then you've got your, uh, your TEDx talk tomorrow night. Uh, how and when can people watch this? Um, so supposedly they're going to be streaming it. That is what I am told. Um, but I don't have the details on what that means. Um, but uh, I should have the live stream link. Uh, sometime tomorrow, and so I'll I'll put it up in one of the one of the slots on the site um, if people want to check it out. Uh, but yeah, I'm supposed to talk sometime toward the end of the day. At some point, I was going to be the person that closes the show. Um, I don't know if that's still the case, but uh, yeah, sometime tomorrow uh, in the afternoon, and, and check the front of the site if you if you want to watch. Otherwise, it should be archived uh, somewhere on YouTube. But yeah, I'll just be glad to have it over with, so it can no longer be <laughs> hanging over my head. Uh, at this point, I don't care if it's good or not. I just I don't want to do it. Yeah. And, well, I, I wish you the best of luck, sir, and I, uh, I hope uh, it leads to many more TED Talks for you down the road. I, I think this, is, this could be a new little cottage industry for you, Patrick, Patrick Klepek, sure. TED Talker. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, Alex, I will, I will see you on Monday morning, um, and uh, good luck catching those Pokemans.